This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I'm ready to party! Good morning, Vietnam! Gentlemen, you can't fight in here, this is the war room. Magic myth on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. I think I might be starting a new story after this. I think that's a good idea. It hasn't been in the fridge yet, so it's warm. Warm chocolate isn't really great. I'm not a fan. Oh, room temperature chocolate, I'm not a fan of. No, it needs to go in the fridge. It needs to be like so cold that it like cracks. You break your teeth. Yeah. I don't know if you're eating my idea. <laughs> I swear to God, if you eat my Easter egg from the fridge, um, you won't be gone. You won't wake up tomorrow morning. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> but welcome to his film, her movie. Hello. I'm Jordan. I'm Lauren. And this is a movie podcast. It's normal. It's normally a weekly movie podcast, but we've been very, very lazy. We're in week three of quarantine now. Well, we say lazy. Jordan has been working still at home every day. I have careered between attempting to become a 1950s housewife and having mini meltdowns, which is why we have not recorded, because I'm either baking or crying. (laughs) So, if anybody else out there feels like that, (laughs) we can have a club. Yes. Starting to feel a bit better. (laughs) So we'll carry on with our series that we started a few weeks ago with yes. Harry Potter. Yes. And that is franchises to isolate to watch whilst in isolation. Yes. So yeah, last say last time we had Harry Potter and my choice for this week's episode is the Mission Impossible series. So I went with a nice family friendly series. Yeah. You went with Creepy Tom Cruise. I went with balls to the wall action. Balls to the wall action. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Pure entertainment, as I like to say. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so we'll talk through our Mission Impossible um, series. But firstly, just always like to say, go give our friends at Pod Syndicate a look. Yes. Um, we are podsyndicate.com. Um, some great shows over there. Yes. But we'll take a small break and then we'll come back with the first of the series. Yes. The Mulberry Boys, every Friday night. On the show, you better know they keep it tight. ETL is back and the J-Strom's in the zone. Introduce the co-host, he doesn't do it alone. PCZ is about to hold court. You know he's on the headset, you can hear him snort. Pop culture movies, TV shows and games. Rotten Tomatoes reviews news and Blu-rays. Foggy don't play around, he will bust a drop fast. Welcome to the Entertainment Landfill Podcast. The Jason and Steven Show. It's the Jason and Steven Show. What? The Jason and Steven Show. It's the Jason and Steven Show.
You like the 1980s, don't you? Of course you do. We all do. But have you ever wondered why that decade was the way it was? Have you ever wished there was somewhere you could go to get past the usual day-glow sentimentality? To try and understand 1980s pop culture in a more social, political and historical context? Because if so, it sounds to me like you're ready to go beyond the aesthetics, beyond the nostalgia. Welcome to Beyond the Neon. Beyond the Neon is the podcast that dares to pull over the Testarossa, eject the Wham cassette, and take off the Wayfarers. If you're looking for retro reviews of Back to the Future, The Goonies, or John Hughes movies, you will not not find that here. If you're looking for top 10 lists of A-Team episodes, Nintendo games, or Stranger Things references, you will will not not find find that that here. If you're looking for long, boring introductions, Squarespace ads, or Patreon begging, you will will not not find find that here. here. Because Beyond the Neon, we do things a little differently. In each documentary-style episode, I look at one area of 1980s popular culture and break it right down. And each episode features academic insight, guest contributions and interviews, as well as clips plumbed from the depths of the 1980s cultural void. Well, YouTube, mainly YouTube. To help illustrate the wonderful, perplexing, terrifying, joyous and utterly thrilling world of 1980s pop culture. Beyond the Neon might not be as regular as other 1980s podcasts, but that's because Beyond the Neon isn't like other 1980s podcasts. Subscribe to the show today and check out all past episodes by visiting beyondtheneon.co.uk. You're gaining on him. Go straight. Straight. Keep going straight. Go straight. Go straight. 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 Okay, now turn right. Right? Now? Yes, right. Are you sure? Yes, I'm... Oh, it's left. Turn left. Sorry, I had the screen lock on. Good luck. So, Mission Impossible. Now, I think we need to have a full disclaimer here. Yeah, we do because, well, we we, we both chose these franchises on, on sort of like to focus on one film. So, we focused on Prisoner of Azkaban for Harry Potter. Yes. And the film that I wanted to really focus on was Mission Impossible Fallout, which is the sixth in the series yes um of this movie but given that this is a series of films you hadn't really seen them i can't remember seeing i them. feel like i've seen a bunch of these before like earlier ones yeah um i don't think i've been to the cinema i think i've probably sat down with dad and maybe watched one but or it, two it, it's one of those things though because for example the first one's been around for so long and it, it, is, it is so famous that You've probably caught scenes and yeah. think that you've seen. Because I, I used to happen to me all the time. Because you see clips of it and you remember those, but you might, might not have sat down and watched the films. However, to caveat all this, I yes. thought it best just to focus on the second leg of this series. But I think you should also tell people what you made me do. We watched the last three Mission Impossible films in twenty-four hours. We did. Yeah. And. Hopefully you loved every single second of it. I feel like love might be 
an incredibly strong word <laughs> but, to use. But so what we're going to do is we didn't rewatch the first three, because um, I thought the the story of the the, the the last three actually does kind of go into each other. Yeah, and, and, and it fits a bit more, but. I'm sure to go through the first three of my thoughts on the franchise and okay. feel free to just dive in whenever you want. She looks at me blankly. All I know is, is I find Tom Cruise creepy. I don't understand. I, I, I haven't forgiven him for the opera jumping <laughs> on the sofa gig thing. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but have you not seen the pictures of, oh, what was his first wife called? Nicole Kidman. Yeah, when she comes out of like the divorce court and she's like, oh my God, yes, I am divorced from him. Like the look of sheer relief and happiness on that woman's face just makes me think like, wow, that must have been a bad, bad marriage. <laughs> well, going again, the thing is, there's plenty of different things about Tom Cruise that you don't like, the whole Scientology thing, but he is kind of the, still the last reigning straight-up movie star. Yeah, I guess that's very true. Um, it's quite surprising. All of the stuff that he's done, all of his crazy antics, don't seem to have affected any of his box office pull. No, not over us. I mean, if, not over us, maybe a decade, no. Um, he's had a few duds through the, throughout the times, but... And we'll get into this because it's, 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 he's had a, quite an interesting career and people think of him as one thing where he actually might not be, but we'll start with Mission Impossible 1. Okay, so I probably 90, have seen this. Yeah, 1996, directed by Brian De Palma. I love um, how you say that as if, I, as if I was to go, oh yes, I've definitely seen that. No idea. No, but you know who Brian De Palma is? He directed like one of your favourite films. Carrie. What, the original Carrie? Yeah. Oh, I like that film. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, the Mission Impossible is about a agency in the American government called the IMF, mm-hmm. which is the Impossible Missions Force. Hilarious name. Yes, it is a very hilarious name. But this is obviously adapted from a '60s TV show, so there is a few little campy things here and there. But we start off with a nice little misdirect. And it sets up a story device that we'll see again and again throughout the throughout the franchise, and that is the mask reveal. So it was a big thing at that time when you had the the prosthetics and the skill to pull off those mask reveals. Okay. So therefore, having them appear as one people and then just be able to tear off their face. In effect. The tear of their face. Yeah, they did because that a lot in the last three. Well, not not that much compared to Okay, it was the, the talked previous. about a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because Benji does talk about it quite a lot in the fourth film as well, Simon Pegg's character. Yes, he does. It, it's sort of a continuing gag. So the plot of the first Mission Impossible film resides around a mole within the IMF who is going to sell um, a list of... US undercover agents to the bad guys, in effect. Are the bad guys English, Russian, or Eastern European? Well, the people that they're trying to say to, she is Vanessa Redgrave, so yes, she is British. It's always three. 
Oh, only three types of <laughs> villains in these films. So, I mean, John Void at the beginning is the leader of the IMF. Mm-hmm. And when, when they're on a mission, something goes wrong. Um, and it ends up that all of the members of the IMF are assassinated apart from Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise's character. So he's basically leaving Ethan Hunt to try and catch them all whilst saving the list, um, getting to the wrong people, um, getting to the wrong hands. Can I just ask though, why is he trying to save a list when everybody's being murdered already? Well, no, it's the every undercover agent sort of... Oh, not just in the IMF? Not just in the IMF. Ah, that makes more sense. So... I mean, the first thing that really surprises me about the first film is the fact that they got Brian De Palma to direct it. Mm -hmm. Because a filmmaker who's very much entrenched himself in genre and in anti-Hollywood sort of beliefs, really, is, I mean, getting to direct this big scale, I mean, small scale in the sense of the films that followed. But still, this was a blockbuster. Mm -hmm. And and to, to get somebody who was... So very not part of the the Hollywood machine to get this in, and somebody who had mostly dealt with horror and thriller to 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 direct this movie, but it was a good choice because his flair. I mean, Brian De Palma is known as one of the best shooters out there. Mm-hmm. The way he constructs his scene, the way he can find different angles to 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 really create an image is what makes him I mean he's one of my favourite filmmakers yeah and yeah and it becomes so apparent that flair and that skill and when he's orchestrating and, and, and constructing the action scenes I mean he's worked with, with creating suspense throughout his entire life yeah Um, his earlier films which very much harken back to Hitchcockian style of, of filmmaking and storytelling. I mean, he's very much... People say, well, he does. He rips off Hitchcock quite a lot in his previous films, but... He's just ripping off somebody good. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so it's... He understands how to amp the tension through technique and pacing and look at what is probably the most famous scene in the film. and It's probably still one of the most famous scenes in the franchise, which is the wire scene. In um, Langley, where Tom Cruise is literally hanging on a wire, trying to get this list off a um, computer, but because like the room is temperature measured, oh, you can't touch the floor. Oh, it's always like parodied. parodied. Yeah. Yes, I so, know that because they do a parody of it. <laughs> so yeah, that wire scene—it works so well because. Firstly, they set up the restrictions of that scene. Mm-hmm. They say, you can't do this. If it, if this happens, the alarm will go off, we'll get caught. If this happens, and it's not just one thing, there's multiple different things that you're always having to remind the audience of mm-hmm. to, to, amp up, to amp up that that suspense. And when you watch it unfold... De Palma is just playing, and it's great to see just the way he shoots it. I mean, and edits it. I mean, Paul Hirsch, who is one of his longtime editing collaborators. I mean, he's worked with him on Blowout and Carrie and Phantom of the Paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene you've got different things going on. You've got John Reno who's who's hanging on to the rope. You've got Tom Cruise who 
has to understand his entire surroundings. Then you've got a rat that comes up to John Renault and starts sort of like thinking with him. So he drops the rope and he nearly hits the floor and a bead of sweat comes down his glasses that might hit the floor, which would set the alarms off. He's obviously temperatures going up. So the temperature of the room is going up, but it's always cutting back to these little things. So you're always amping up that suspense of, Christ, are they going to get caught? Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's masterful, masterful filmmaking. But yeah, it's all in all, it's just a tightly scripted, well shot little. No, not who done it, but who is it? Yeah, who is the mole and who is doing all this sort of stuff? And and Tom Cruise, this was his second proper outing, I'd say, as an action star since Top Gun. Yeah. Because, I mean, Top Gun was in 1986. And say what you want about his output now or whatever, but back in the 80s and, and, and even through the 90s, the quality of his choices and his performances is top-notch. I mean, when you get to understand why he... Bec- you get to understand why he became the biggest movie star mm-hmm. on the planet because you're going from him being in sort of taps to getting that big break in Top Gun... Um, You've got Rain Man, you've got The Colour of Money, yeah. you've got Cocktail, you've got Days of Thunder, working with Tony, Tony Scott again. Mm-hmm. And then even the start of the 90s, like he wasn't doing big, big action films. You got Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah. Um, you've got Jerry Maguire, which came out the same year mm-hmm. as Top Gun. Sorry, Mission Impossible 1. It's really only in his probably last 10 or so years where he has become Tom Cruise who really only does action yeah, movies. Yeah, really, apart from like his earlier stuff, I can't really think of any other... Because people think... We think oh, Tom... he did um, Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder he did, yeah. I really liked him in Tropic Thunder, just because, I don't know, I've got a thing where I don't really like people who can't kind of make fun of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, like especially like, newer sort of films with him i always kind of get a bit of a he's very serious serious actor he's taking it very very seriously whereas tropic thunder like he had to wear a fat suit to the point where he even had to like make his hands fat yeah yeah and then be balding and sleazy and everything i like to see actors out of their comfort zone well i mean we'd have to i'll have to show you magnolia because that's a film that he made with Paul Thomas Anderson that is probably his best performance. Okay. Um, he plays like this chauvinistic, um, self-help sort of conference speaker. So therefore, he's t- telling men how to be predators and how women are weak. And how you know what I mean? Those sorts of American style. Don't dislike him even more. But he's he's not a very nice character. But he is wonderful in that movie. Okay. But yeah, I mean, another thing the original film does focus on is the big set piece. Those action set pieces that really define what these movies are. Like again, in the first one, you have the wire scene. Yeah. You have the helicopter in the Channel Tunnel, um, when it's yeah. attached to a train. And yeah, it's it's all just very, very well made action filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And also, you get Ving Rhames' introduction as Luther Strickler. 
I believe is, is his name is. So, and he, he continues that throughout the film. Right. Um, as one of his sort of right-hand men. Okay. Um, but yeah, Mission Impossible 1 is great. And four years later, we get Mission Impossible mm-hmm. 2. Um, in 2000. This is the one that I've seen. So you probably have, um, directed by John Wu, uh, a Chinese filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And there's always something about Mission Impossible 2 that for me tells me it should have worked. I mean, you've got John Woo, this I mean, action filmmaking royalty, coming off Face Off, which is his last major American uh, film. But it's his Chinese output of the late 80s, early 90s that make him a great... You've got A Better Tomorrow, The Killer, Hard Boiled, his collaborations with Chow Yun-Fat. But the thing is, the film just whimpers throughout the entire runtime. And it never... It really gets going. And it's got such a convoluted script that shockingly and, and obviously wants to try and stay 10, 10 beats ahead of the the audience and to always surprise them. Mm-hmm. But it becomes kind of... What they're trying to do is like a metaphorical ta-da. And when we're talking about these mask reveals that we see in the first one, yeah. they must do at least 15 of those mask reveals throughout the entirety of Mission Impossible 2. It's, it's sort of like... They thought that was cool in the first one. Now let's just really, really up it in the second. <laughs> let's do um every half hour. Yeah, and every fifteen minutes. Yeah, it is pretty much is every fifteen minutes, and it loses its effect after that because it was cool, mm-hmm. and now it's just sort of like, well, I don't have any investment in the scene because I actually don't know what's true and what's not, and even though. That that ambiguous like ambiguous style of storytelling can be entertaining. When it's part of a boring movie, it becomes something that you just be, it irks you. You don't need a film, an action film based in philosophical practices. No, you want black and white. <laughs> Is it real? Is it not? True, and and it's it's a, it's a plot revolving around this virus that's, um going to be set off and onto the general population by an old IMF colleague of Ethan Hunt who went rogue, played by Dougary Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Thandie Newton, who is plays Dougary Scott's ex-girlfriend, who is also part of, wants to steal this virus. And Thandie Newton is really, unfortunately, practically only used as a plot device in the film. Oh. Like she gets very, very, very little to do. Then you've you've got a great actress mm-hmm. and who's just there as a bit of eye candy and to keep the plot moving along. And it's it sells her short quite a lot. But the thing is John John Woo in in action really for me only works when he's able to let go with the level of violence that he likes. And that makes me sound really <laughs> macabre. But if you look at his style, I mean, his style is very much slow motion. Mm-hmm. It's 
people jumping with guns mm-hmm. and shooting them, looking really, really cool. But also, you get the other side of that when, for example, look at the killer and look at how boiled. When somebody gets shot, yeah, they practically explode. Yeah, these songs don't really have any blood. Yeah, in them to kind of, oh, he's getting past senses. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got a little bit of blood, but not a lot. And I mean, the thing is, John Woo. When you enjoy his films, you enjoy them for that reason. Not to say you enjoy films for being super violent, but there is entertainment value within that. Yeah. Because it is super stylized, so therefore you know it's it's not real. It's ridiculous. It, it, yes, absolutely. It's not like it's it's like Deadpool's quite ridiculous. Yeah, I, you wouldn't yeah. have anything like that in real life. But um, whereas you look at um, like other sort of films I'm trying to think of one and for some reason all I can think of is seven mm-hmm. that is more realistic because oh, yeah, it's, it's, more realistic. It's, it's, it's a bit more it's, it's, it's a bit, it, bit more of a gritty drama thriller yeah. than, than, than anything else but when people get shot in it they bleed as you would expect yes. somebody to do so no it, absolutely it scares you on a different level yeah it's, it's a, so it's not like torture porn but there is there is such a thing as beautiful violence in cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm fully, I'm fully behind that. Of there's a way of showing somebody explode or get shot or some sort of gruesome thing happen, but be, because it is cinema, you can make it look gorgeous, mm-hmm. even though what you're seeing is actually quite brutal. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. So when you when you're restricted to that, and I think MI two is a fifteen. When you when you're restricted to that fifteen certificate. Or, or, or like the R rating and not going into NC-17 territory, yeah. you're restricting the vision, yeah. I, I believe. And yeah, it's it's a style which I do love, but I don't think it fits well with the style of the rest of the series. And even though this is only the second film, but it's, it's, it's so left field to what the first one was mm-hmm. um, that... Yeah, it, it never ever sat right. And coming out at this time, I mean, we all remember the Limp Biscuit soundtrack of Yeah, Take a uh, Look Around. That was on the other day as well. Um, and yeah, so it's it's a disappointment. I mean, you can watch it and find decent things within it, but yeah, it, it's by far the weakest of the franchise. So Mission Impossible 3, which I believe was 2007, directed by J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Now, this one we've got Philip Seymour Hoffman I love him with him. Uh, fresh off his Oscar win uh, for Capote, he gets to play in his first big blockbuster film and gets to play with the big boys. <laughs> and he doesn't disappoint. He brings so much of his own gravitas and his own pre- presence to the film. I mean... The opening interrogation scene is still probably my favourite of all the films. And right. it's it's just two close-ups of two actors. But how they... It's one man count to ten and the other man not understanding what is being asked of him. Yeah. And Tom Cruise is fantastic in that scene. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is so intense... I love Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman's voice. Yeah. Oh, He's yeah. Got just the kind of voice where he'll be saying something and be quite laid back, but you still you need to watch him. Yeah. 
so many different levels that he could act on. And that's it. This is probably he's one of his most maniacal of villains mm-hmm. um, that he's played because I mean he's so so menacing, but he's is one thing that the Mission Impossible series until that point I believe lacked, and that was this really memorable villain mm-hmm. um, and a real person who is up to the same level as how Ethan Hunt is good. Yeah. He can be bad. And you you've got say one of who was one of the best actors of his generation oh, God, in yeah. that role. And you've also got JJ Abrams coming on and um, board, as well as his production company Bad Robot, yeah. who is still into majorly into creating these films. Mm-hmm. And JJ Abrams is still a producer. I mean, I don't know how much he actually does, but he's still titled as a producer. And after a few years of living, um, working in TV and creating and directing the pilot of Lost in 2004, yeah. this is his big break. This is his first film that he directed. And yeah, it's, on the whole, it's a decent one too. I mean, it does three important things that mm-hmm. we need for the franchise to continue and to be as as good that it did do. I mean, it brings the tone of the films a bit more down to earth, and um, because we, we we did go so cartoony with Mission Impossible Two, yeah, it's a lot more gritty and it's a lot more embedded into that thriller genre aesthetic. And mm-hmm. um, introduces Simon Pegg as Benji. And it introduces Michelle Monaghan as Julia. Yeah. Um, Ethan's wife. Who comes back towards the film now. It's it's an interesting one, Mission Impossible 3, because it, it's it's entertaining when you're watching it, but when when you have when you finish watching it, it it really is quite hard to remember anything that <laughs> you've seen about it i mean it does lack some of those big action sequences that we have seen Mm -hmm. in the previous ones and that we will see but it's very much the tone setter of the the franchise and it's very much this is the first film like you could see this as the first film of a four film arc yeah whereas the first two are sort of on their own living in a different land Mm -hmm. we always take the next step from Mission Impossible 3. Um, and I think that's, that is quite important. But we go into Mission Impossible 4. Yay! Ghost Protocol. Yeah. Now, this one is directed by another... Well, not a first-time filmmaker, but a first-time live-action filmmaker. And that is Brad Bird, who comes from the land of Pixar... From directing Iron Giant, from directing mm-hmm. The Incredibles. Mm-hmm. And no kids. N- no kids. But now he gets to play in a in a big sandbox. In a big sandbox. Um, which is, well, pun intended for Dubai. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's an interesting one because we've got, again, Ethan Hunt. We've got Benji, who he plays a bit more of a, a bit more of a central role in this. We mm-hmm. get introduced to a few more characters. Unfortunately, Luther is barely in this film, which I always thought was 
a mistake. We get introduced to Jamie Rennie's character. Yeah. Who will return. And it also rounds some, well, uh, well what would you call him? Uh, it's like an apocalypse scientist. Yeah, who, there is actually a actual like movement yeah. sort of now saying that it's better if we sort of leave. Yes. And then the planet can heal, which is basically what he's wanting to do. Yeah. Um. So, whilst I am not a huge fan of Tom Cruise himself, I did like this film. Yeah. Um. I think the main reason I liked this film was Simon Pegg. I love Simon Pegg. I've loved him for about 20 or so years. Yeah. And I just think he's brilliant. And his little comic relief throughout the film was really good, I found, because he was um he was basically like a normal person. If but, that makes sort of sense. No, yeah, and he's like Ethan Hunt becomes kind of a superhero. Yeah. Whereas like Benji's like, Can we do this? And he's like, No, that won't work. He's like, Be cool if it did though. But and, that, and that's it. I mean the introduction to Benji is so much ingrained within the tone of these movies now because yeah. they were quite serious but Simon Pegg's input just adds that bit of lightness and that bit of, of a sense of humour towards it. It's like I was saying because um, I was a huge, huge fan of Space mm. when that was on, Simon Pegg's like first big, yeah. big venture. And I think the problem that I did have was, as I said to you whilst we were watching it, I can't take him seriously throughout it. Yeah. Because um for you those those of you who haven't watched Spaced, um it is Simon Pegg when he's younger and everything, but with, with his friends, they all talk about how all guys know if you if you put up finger guns and pretend to shoot each other, you have to be like diving, being like, No, I've been shot and doing all the sound effects and everything. And then now he's running around like a real gun. <laughs> but I can't take him seriously because I can imagine doing this going pew pew. <laughs> ah, and like rolling dramatically onto the floor yeah. so he's like doing like proper action things and I'm just sitting there giggling going Haha, remember when he did this <laughs> so that's probably why I kind of liked it a little bit more um, because I felt that it was it was good action um, but it, it's like it, it's like the other thing why I'm not the biggest fan of DC yeah. I, think I had a friend who described um, the DC Marvel universe as DC being very black and white, Marvel being like a rainbow. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really good way of describing it. And I kind of feel like f- from the films that you got me to watch, yes, that would be very similar. These would be like the rainbow of the action films. Mm. They've got the seriousness, they've got the fun. We've got a little bit of something for everybody. I was very pleased that um, the female agent... Yep, Paula Patton. ...was not just trotted out as a love interest. No? I was waiting for that to happen, and she was not. Because nine times out of ten, in action films, that's usually what the women are for. They're just meant to be there, look pretty, and fall in love with the main guy and she didn't do that she worked very hard she fought very hard and um she didn't get off with anybody that's it 
I like that. <laughs> but yeah, and the, the Mission Impossible 4 is... And partly why I wanted to take these next four, sorry, these next three and focus on them mm-hmm. and make you watch them. I say make. Um, is I that just left the room. These, <laughs> these, it's the beginning of Tom Cruise using these films as a plaything to... It's an excuse. It's an excuse to do wild and crazy things. Yeah. So obviously in this one... The, the the big set piece that, that I spoke about with the first one that sets it up um, is him... What's the word? Scaling. Scaling is the word. The the tall building in Dubai, which I think is called the Burj Khalifa, I think. Okay. Um, so you have some incredible footage of Tom Cruise scaling that with these sticky gloves... And then like you, frog gloves, frog gloves, frog gloves, and it does such a good job. Uh, and we'll talk about this going forward. But you, t- you can, you know, it's real. I mean, you know, it's real because you've been told it's real. But yeah. there is completely there's a different vibe about it when you can see exactly what's being shot. Like, yeah, there's no CG. There's no nothing. It's it's what he was doing, and it's. For me, it adds a bit more suspense because you know nothing's going to happen, but it's just sort of like, what would it be like to experience that sort of yeah. adrenaline, that thrill? And that's what it does. When you do see somebody do these things for in real life and it's not just green screened or whatever, your adrenaline, like the character's adrenaline, does go up and your heart starts beating faster because that's Tom Cruise doing that. Yeah. Um, and the scene of him when he's literally running down the building's windows, yeah. it's, I mean, it just looks phenomenal. They were saying, how much How much do you think Tom Cruise's insurance is? Oh, must be, I mean, you're talking tens of millions. That's why these films cost so much to make. It's not paying the actors, it's paying his insurance. But that's it. But I think the only thing that I think um, Mission Impossible 4 lacks of, and again... They did well with it in Mission Impossible 3, but I find um, Mikhail Ninquist, I think his name is, the the villain of the piece, a bit of a wet blanket. Yeah. He's not a great villain. You've got some really good set pieces in there regarding um, the whole two hotel rooms when they're trying to play that Mm -hmm. down. The entire thing in the Kremlin looks great. Yeah. And in the way that Simon Pegg just bouncing off Tom Cruise. Like, throughout this film, like, you would never, before Mission Impossible 3, you would never pair those two together in a million years. But their on-screen chemistry is brilliant. It is good. I like to think that, um, because I've I've seen things with Simon Pegg and everything, I like to think that he maybe just sort of like made made some stuff up and was trying to make him laugh, trying to make him break character. Oh, probably. Yeah, you can see definitely see you sort of um because he's just babbling away, isn't he? So yeah. I'm sure he just would babble away. And as long as he got to the point where Tom Cruise had to had to reply, yeah, he could say anything in between. Yes, but no, I mean Ghost Protocol. Out of the three movies that I made you watch, I think it's it's, it's the weakest out of them. Okay. Um, 
but it does have some incredible scenes. Can now, you say that you made me watch these? It really does make you feel, make it sound like you like put me strapped in a, you down. It makes me like a clockwork orange style chair and made me watch <laughs> these. Well, I only say that because you would never have watched them otherwise if not no, for I the podcast. Have. If you hadn't said, right, we're gonna. Well, no, if we were sitting on a Saturday night, yeah, maybe. Said, do you mind if we watch this? So, that Ghost Protocol was two thousand eleven. Yeah. Impossible, uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, the fifth in the franchise, was 2015. And this is the first of Christopher McQuarrie's films. Um, now, Christopher McQuarrie, I think, had worked with Tom Cruise on doing some rewrites on a film that he made, a very good film called um, Edge of Tomorrow. Yes. Um and I think he actually came on and did some rewrites on Ghost Protocol. Right. But he was then brought on to write and direct Rogue Nation. Now, Macquarie then has went on to direct the next one. Mm-hmm. And Mission Impossible 7 and 8 were being shut back to back, but have been put on hold because of coronavirus. Yes. Because was it Italy they were filming? And they were shooting in Italy, yeah. So everyone yeah. had to um, get closed down and... And things like that, and but Christopher McQuarrie came on board, and I remember when this film came out because there was a big, a bit of a, a wait between three and four, and I remember being really impressed by four. Yeah, and then when Rogue Nation came out, I remember going to the cinema just not really thinking anything of it, and it really blowing me away by yeah. how good it was, and. There is, especially of the last two, there is such a nice sheen on the films. Mm-hmm. Like, they look really, I mean, it sounds terrible, they look really, really expensive. <laughs> and they, they look slick and they're made very, very slickly. Like, yeah. they whip along at such a pace. Yeah, it's, it's quite, because although they're quite long films, Yeah, I mean, this is two hours, 11 minutes long. So it didn't really feel like two no. hours, 11 minutes because the pace was quite, quite high. Yeah. And they, they always keep up the, like, upping the ante, upping mm-hmm. the ante and getting through those, again, those big action set pieces. And there's a couple in this film. Yeah. We open up. With Tom Cruise hanging off the side of a plane taking off. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, Benji, open the door. Open <laughs> <Wrong> door. <laughs> and then we also have this beautiful sequence in the Vienna Opera. Yes. Some incredible one-shot stuff in there that looks glorious and is mm-hmm. all put towards Ness and Dorma. Um, and obviously we're introduced to Rebecca Ferguson's character. Yeah. Um, Ilsa, oh, I've got a second name, Faust. Yes. Who is probably actually thinking about it since her inter- one of my, f- if not my favourite character of this entire franchise. I find her story quite fascinating. Yes, yeah, she's, she's not just sort of plopped in there. She's got the whole backstory and a lot going on around it to explain why she's doing yeah. what she's doing. It, and it's not ignored. Absolutely. And it's not even that, but it's also even... Her relationship with Ethan, mm-hmm. because it's not a simple one. It's not a simple romantic lead. There's a sense of awkwardness about it, and obviously they're they're both trying to get two different things. And mm-hmm. within this movie, you also have this, in a way, cat and mouse, where 
she's always one step ahead of Ethan or being or manipulating them or using them yeah. or things like that where you don't know if you should trust her or not. Yeah. Um, because not only are we um, introduced to Ilsa Faust, we're also introduced to Solomon Lane. Yes. Played by Sean Harris. Mm-hmm. Who is generally seen as the big bad of these last few films. I feel like he looks a little bit like Julian Assange. Well, I mean, Sean Harris is this brilliant British actor, but he he doesn't look like your quintessential movie star. No, not at all, no. And he, he's got a very unique look about him. And it's quite a sinister look. It's kind of a... You... It's not off-putting. Yeah, but he he just looks like you don't know what he's capable of. Yeah, like quite thin and just angular. Yeah, very very angular. And when you get him in the in the Rogue Nation, he's sort of calm, collected, and mm-hmm. we're back to that having a villain that matches Ethan for his intelligence. Yeah, which is always good. Um. It makes it more interesting then. But it does, and it, it makes the stakes of the film a hell of a lot more um, suspenseful. Yeah. And, and so the other action sequence that we have is the underwater scene. Oh, yeah, yeah that one. Which yeah. Tom Cruise learned, I think, hold his breath for seven and a half minutes for. Which is just... Which is, again, he's just loving to play around with these sorts of things. And yet Rogue Nation is... So fast pace, action packed. There's a, a, a sequence on motorcycles, which is genuinely. Oh, is that the one where he's not wearing a helmet? Any of the stuff? Yeah. And then, like, he puts his knee down, he goes, oop, shit, and, like, brings his knee yeah. back up. Yeah. Absolutely. And that comes right after a great. That is the bit that makes me more anxious seeing people going on speed mm. on motorbikes with no protection because. Right, he's up in the previous film, um, up up the hotel and everything. There's going to be safety wires. There's going to be all this. He's hanging off the side of a plane. There's going to be some sort of safety built in. When he's on a motorbike doing that sort of stuff, there can't be any safety or anywhere near as much safety. Mm. But yes, he's probably got like things under his jeans and under his clothes, but not on his hands and not on his head. And I just feel like, that's that's the real danger. Oh, I, I completely agree. But what I love about it as well, especially that sequence, I've been talking about it when we're watching it, is like mm-hmm. they go through lengths, and I'm glad they do, and the way they choose their shots to make sure that you know that is Tom Cruise on that bike, mm-hmm. going at that speed and pulling off what he's pulling off. Because um, you're just showing a... He's a showman at this point. Yeah. He, he's a bit more than an actor. Mm-hmm. He's... A thrill seeker, and he's again, he's using these films to satisfy whatever needs that he has to to do things. Well, he doesn't drink or anything. Well, that's it. Maybe he needs. But, but, but what did you think of Rogue Nation? I did like it. I liked that one as well. Again, it wouldn't have been one that I would have picked, and it wouldn't, it's not necessarily a film I would go back to again and mm. again, but I did like it again. Um, I liked the fact that you were sort of like building on the complicated relationship with um, Ilsa. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna. I said it and then I was thinking, am I actually saying the girl's name from Swarovski? <laughs> no, that's Elsa. 
Um, yeah, I, I like that it wasn't just a straight romance because, like, you what? This is why I don't like James Bond. James Bond is, he turns up, he looks suave in a suit, and girls fall at his feet. And I just think, no, this, I felt, showed them as much more human. Mm. And I like that. I like the fact that it's got the bit of the tension and everything. Though, as I said to you, I know he's going to survive this because we're watching the next film with him. Yeah, true. So, you know, some of the spence was slightly <laughs> was slightly destroyed for me because I knew that I knew who was going to survive it. Um, but yeah, I found that the writing on these was a lot better than traditional um, action, films. action films. And I'm just saying that from like a female perspective, we're mm. usually only there for romance or as like a token character. Yeah. And for the first, well, actually getting on to like the third one for all of them, the fem- the female characters didn't feel like that. They felt like actual, fully developed people. Yeah. With a whole range of different emotions, not just horny girl number three. Mm. Which, yeah, so I, I did like, I liked Rogue Nation. I like the whole concept behind it as well. Because, I yeah, like, the, the undercover sort Yeah, of... I like the villain. I liked the whole... Um, the the secret bank in the middle of like nowhere yeah. and all this sort of thing. Because there is, there's gonna be stuff like that. Out there. <laughs> there is. But it's also, I mean, when you get to the, the the final part of the film as well, it's you actually get to see, and it's sometimes when you do, you you forget because the the, the sort of they're always tarnished with the same sort of comedy brush, but. Simon Pegg in that scene where he's got the bomb strapped to him and he's talking, oh, he's, he's really actually good. really dramatically good. Yes, he's he is a very good straight actor. Mm. He, obviously, his strength is in comedy. Yeah, but I, I just can't, can't tell. I've always, I've always had a bit of a crush on Simon Pegg with him. And I do like the um, the mirroring of the endings, the start and the end, because you've got yeah. the start, you've got Solomon Lane capturing Ethan Hunt. Um, in the glass case. Yes. And how do they catch Solomon Lane? In a glass case? In a glass case. I do like that. But also, talking about that, we also have the sequence right after that when Tom Cruise is caught to him shimmying up a pole. Upside down. Upside down and Using coming off it. just core strength. And it is wonderful to see. Like... But then we discuss it. It's like him and like the Hemsworth brothers and... All these action stars, they they are literally paid to do that. Yeah. They are paid to look like that. And Tom Cruise can get the big books because he's like, I will do these stunts. Yeah. So it makes the films better. It makes the films more realistic. It also shows his discipline as well, I think, because... Oh, God, you had to give up. Like, we're talking about Easter eggs. Yeah. We've already got two in the fridge soon. <laughs> Finish this. I'm cracking one open. But yeah, it's like yeah, again his his discipline to learn to hold his breath for seven and a half minutes, and we'll even go more into it in the next mm-hmm. one, um, which we might as well go on to now. To be honest, I mean, but I, I really do like Rogue Nation. I think it's a really, really classy movie. Yeah. And when watched together with Fallout, and to be honest with Ghost Protocol at the end of the other one, it it's a really fitting set up towards what is to come because with um fallout 
which is released in 2018. Again, Christopher McQuarrie came on to direct this one. Mm-hmm. We're sort of bang right where we were. Yeah. Um, Tom Cruise is on the hunt. Um, and we've got Alec Baldwin, who... Sorry to giggle when a Baldwin <laughs> Who, I can't take him seriously either, Saturday Night Live. <laughs> he's the new leader of the IMF. Yeah. Um, we hear there is some nuclear... Um, nuclear warheads. Not nuclear, nuclear warheads. warheads nuclear. Radiated sort of balls. Yeah. That are getting sores where they lose them. Mm-hmm. They use really, really nice misdirect to con somebody else to tell them. And that's when we get to Paris where we meet different people and we find out that Solomon Lane is going to be back in this film which is good looking even more like Julian Assange yes with the beard but even more menacing because he's just so unkept and unstraggling now yeah now it's a little bit like he's still clever but he's gone a little bit crazy with it so now he's even more unpredictable yeah Um, and who we're introduced to in this one is Henry Cavill yes um, the, the most obvious spy you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and I said this throughout it. Okay, we've, we've just started watching The Witcher. He's perfect for that. The the costume yeah. and everything. Um, I haven't seen the Superman films with him in. I'm sorry, but he must be the most obvious Superman ever. Six foot tall, built like a brick shit house. It's bigger than six foot. But do you know what I mean? Like, over six foot. What do you mean? And you're like, oh, we're looking for, like, Superman. He's, like, proper built. Oh, that man over there looks kind of like Superman and he's super built. At least in, what, the 90s TV show? Yeah. He kind of looked like a normal guy. Yeah, maybe he did. I mean, but he I got think... Away, he, got, he could get away with being a reporter. Henry Cavill, I'm going to have to watch it because I just don't feel like he's going to be believable. Yeah, yes, he's a good Superman. Um... It's but just it, it, the general side. Well, you size. you laugh because he hit, he hid behind a block and his shoulder was <laughs> shoulders was wider than the block. He's like great big stone concrete pillar. Ken Henry, you're wider than the pillar. We can still see you. But we are. We're, so he is the the menacing sort of ends up being the, the the sort of the big bad of the piece. But yeah, August Walker, who is a CIA operative. Mm-hmm. And we're introduced to him basically right off the bat with one of the most impressive single shot um, scenes in in the entire franchise, and that is the the halo jump. Oh yeah, the one where he breaks his foot. Um, no, no, the one out of the plane. Oh, that one. Yes. So that's another one where Tom Cruise is just being Tom Cruise and having. A ball, jumping out of a plane. How do you feel like like? So Henry Cavill gets in, into this. I, I think I think he did. I'm, I'm not sure if he, actually I'm not sure if he, if he was part of it, but I know Tom Cruise definitely was. But like you're Henry Cavill, you're like yeah, I'm gonna go be in Mission Impossible films. Like, I know he's been in quite a few of the stuff, um, and everything. But like Superman, a lot of CGI. Yeah, Batman yeah. vs Superman, a lot of CGI, everything. And then you go on a film with Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise is like, yeah, we're gonna jump out of a plane. How like inadequate you must be like, um, I don't want to jump out of a plane. Yeah. 
and it's like he's like the biggest superstar in the world going yeah it'd be great fun come on we'll go jump out we'll play and he's like no thanks <laughs> how like I don't know I want to say shant but that's a very Cumbrian word of saying it how embarrassed yeah. must you be to be like I, I, I just cannot do everything that you are doing but that's it. but the thing is like there is that but it's also like just the amount of planning and preparation mm-hmm. and technique that goes into capturing a sequence like that and having to do that in sort of your one take um, and yet you've got Henry Cavill being the manliest looking man that you could ever <laughs> look like ever and he is he's, I've got a proper man crush on the, the guy do you know what I feel like we're, maybe, like we're joking about him he is very good in this he really is he's good in really, this he's really really good in this I just feel like he would make such an obvious secret agent. Yeah. He's he he's so he's he doesn't blend in <laughs> in any way. He's like the worst person to be a like a secret agent because you'd be like, look at that tall guy over there. <clears throat> yeah. He's fit, he's tall. He's going to stand out. And that's that's the only thing that I found like unbelievable about this film yeah <laughs> it's Henry Cavill and I mean the thing I liked about this movie I mean this is this is the longest Mission Impossible film it's 2 hours 27 minutes long mm-hmm. it's a long old movie but you're never bored throughout it no it's it is pace. it's so pacey but it's also always interesting like he's always introducing new play, new players of the game like mm-hmm. we get introduced to oh what's her name um Oh, from the Crown. Yes, Vanessa Kirby. Yes, in this film, and we get reintroduced to Rebecca Ferguson's character, mm-hmm. who is trying to do the exact opposite to what Tom Cruise is trying to do. So you've got this this friendship, this very heightened sexual tension between them, but one's trying to keep one person alive, and the other one's trying to kill that that same person, <laughs> and it's a really nice little dichotomy of things you got on going on there mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's just again i'm using it, it's balls to the wall entertainment out of the three that you made me watch yeah. this is my favorite oh it's it, well this is, this is this is by far for me the best mission impossible film yeah and the, and the reason why i wanted to to cover this franchise as a whole is because how unique it is Mm-hmm. For a franchise to kind of find its feet with the fourth film of a franchise, mm-hmm. get better with the fifth, and then with the sixth, f- like find a whole different level yeah. of of storytelling and of suspense and of putting these characters and utilizing what these films sort of identify as. Mm-hmm as best as it possibly can be. And when this film came out and people were talking to um, Macquarie about directing and about these sequels, which hadn't been um, announced yet, mm-hmm. they were saying, you're going to do another one? And Macquarie's question was, do you know what? There's a thing about these films, especially with, with the action, is where you always have to go one level higher. Yeah. You always have to go one level higher and he was like, I just don't know how I can top it. Because what they do in Fallout 
um, and Jim really taught me. You've got Tom Cruise. There's a final sequence. There's a helicopter chase where yes. Tom Cruise learned to fly a helicopter in eight weeks. And it's... It's my 616. Yeah. He did it in half the time because he put in double shifts. And it's a baffling achievement. It's like... Because I talk about this film like I would talk about films of... God... Like the greats, like talk about films like of Scorsese mm-hmm. and of Herzog and of somebody like these high art cinema. Like I think Mission Impossible Fallout is one of the best action films that's ever been. It was it was beautifully shot. Like this, the where where they chose to shoot it, yeah. was gorgeous. I have to say, one of my favorite scenes was the car chase, yes, around Paris. And I was like, I really just want to go around, go to Paris, um, with Simon Pegg, yeah hilarious absolutely hilarious and i really really hope that um that sam peg had no idea how tom cruise was going to drive mm-hmm. because i feel like his reactions are just too good to be acted upon yeah yeah he looks terrified and when you're watching it um, he's like screaming and like being like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna die!" and all this sort of stuff, and looking terrified. And Tom Cruise, you just see like the sheer concentration that he's got on his face. But I just felt throughout the whole that he really wanted to like smile and be like, <laughs> "This is so much fun." Yeah. And you can tell like he obviously really enjoys making these films. Yeah. So yes, although he's not somebody that I like, I really I did like him in these. Yeah. Um. The fact um, he, he really likes to make cars drift around every single corner. He can't just drive around a corner. He has to drift. Um, but the the sheer amount of work and everything that he puts in to make these as good as he can yeah. has kind of converted me a little bit more to him. But that's the thing is, that, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, it's it's the effort because he generally could just say, "I'm not oh, doing that. I'm not doing that." We're shooting CG, but no, he puts a time in because he wants these films to be an experience. Because you want to see when you see this on a, a cinema screen which is sixty feet high, mm-hmm. you want to see that, that that is that person doing that stunt because it just adds. Yeah, that extra level to it. Um, and, like, for example, the motorcycle scenes, even in Rogue Nation, there's a few in this one as well. Yeah. He could have put a helmet on. But he didn't. But he didn't. He because, gave him full-blown anxiety, thinking he was going to come off and die. But, but the thing is, if you put a helmet on, then you know it's a stuntman. Yeah. That's the reason why he's not wearing a helmet, is because he wants people to know that he's like the one doing face it. helmet. He could have, like, <laughs> he'd, like, Protect the rest of his head, but have like an open face helmet. I think it's, it's just such a great forum for him as a, as, as an actor. Um, and don't, don't be wrong, even like Tom Cruise's output over his entire career is just, I mean, so impressive. I mean, his last one. Let's have a look. Um, let's bring it up IMDb. And um, the Mummy was. I mean, I haven't seen it, but by all accordances, I'm, I'm wasn't bitten there. I'm a fan of the original. I'm a Brendan Fraser Well, that, that's, that, that's a remake in itself. But no. <laughs> to me, Brendan Fraser. Jack, the Jack Reacher films were a bit blah, but then you've got Edge of Tomorrow, which was I enjoyed Oblivion. I enjoyed him taking the mickey out of himself again in Rock of Ages. Oh my 
god, yes, I forgot he did Rock of Ages. Um, you've got... Um, that film was shocking. <laughs> I quite like Rock of Ages. Yeah, it's like a really weird sort of guilty pleasure. I think it's on I think it's on Netflix. I think it is, actually, yeah. <laughs> and then you've got War of the Worlds, which I still think is underrated Spielberg film. You've got him in Collateral, which is, again, one of his better performances. Yeah. The Last Samurai is great in Minority Report is great in Vinland Sky, Magnolia, I mean, Eyes Wide Shut... He makes more great movies than he actually does duds. And I don't know why. I think there's, there is a sort of an era about him where he's like, it's Tom Cruise. He's not a real actor. He's just a... He's a stuntman who somehow is now Became sort of ste- stealing a living. But absolutely not. He, what he does within these films, and he, he does as well as the films get better and better. Mm-hmm. And he's just going to age. Like, I mean... I really want to know if they are going to end like the do franchise. The next, do these next two. They've ended because he is, I mean, he's 57 years old now. Yes, he's a specimen of... Yeah, but like he, in government, he would have he would have picked up his pension by now. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if we want to see that nice little end to this character. And because with Macquarie at the helm... I can't... I'm really looking forward to these movies coming out. I would go and see them in the cinema with you. Yeah, cool. But yeah, like you said, I I think maybe the next two were quite good. I don't like the idea of them carrying on without him. I don't think they could. I really don't I think don't they think could. They could like, he is Mission Impossible. Yeah, they can't like pass it on to another actor. I don't think it would be quite right. And then they're always, always going to be compared mm. to him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think if they did the next two and then the last, the eighth one was like bowing out gracefully. And that's it. And I think really, I'd just like to see, the, I'd just like to see Ethan Hunt just having like retiring. But that's it. Yeah. And like just hopefully. Surfing or something. Do you know what I mean? Just take like a nice relaxing spot where you can just be out and just. Hmm enjoy the rest of his life no stress and, and my final thoughts on Fallout I mean what I think is we're talking about the action we're talking about everything like that within this movie and the pacing but what I think it does really well again especially at the end is hit you with that emotional level that it has mm-hmm. when Julia turns up at the end of Four where it doesn't have a seat you literally you just see him looking at her yeah his wife from the third film but then you don't see her until the end. You of don't this. see until the end of this, and it's it's a surprise, and it's just like a, oh god, and the the small scene that they have together, and the fact is like, they broke up because of the situation that like they were in. It was it was a mutual. There was no bad blood. No, it, there was it, no love lost. There no. was no nothing like that. It was just out of sheer necessity. And then even having to have that scene with him, but then have to leave to save the world again. Yeah, and it's sort of like. It's showing the the double life that he can't have, yeah. which is quite sad as well. Um, but no, Fallout is a supremely great film. I think that's it. Yes. Thank you for getting me to watch them. No, you're welcome. Well, I'm you not haven't really sold the first three, so I won't be watching them. Well, no, the first one is brilliant. I really do like it. It's completely different vibe to the rest of them. The second's a different vibe in a really, in a not good way. But I think you would enjoy the third, the first and the third. Um, just skip two. Yeah, just skip two. You don't really need to. Can I just drink a bottle of wine and fall asleep? 
You don't even have to watch it. <laughs> you really don't. Yeah. It, 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 it brings has, nothing to the table. It brings nothing to the table. But what I said, like, from three to six, there is a nice little arc over them. Yeah. And, and nice little through lines. Karen which building is building up the characters yeah, it's good. and the relationships. And yeah, I like that. I like the fact that it wasn't just action because quite often it's like the... All the explosions. Did I think he did Transformers? Michael Bear. Michael Bear. He just focuses on explosion, fire, yeah, fire yeah. explosion, fights, whatever. And that's why I think a lot of action films get a bad rap. Mm. Because it's just boobs and explosions. And this isn't like that. And I have to admit, I went into it thinking, oh my god, this is gonna be like a Michael Bear film. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that he had fully actualized characters and an actual interesting plot that wasn't just explosions mm. and yeah and the sense of humor that goes throughout the final three films as well it's yeah. so much it just brings a little bit of light because you even have these high tensions when like um, the scene where Tom Cruise actually does break his foot and it goes off oh. but it's sort of like when you've got them running in the girl uh, in the office, just like with the headphones on, that would be me. But, um, totally but it's like, no, he's saying, where should I go to, to, to Benji? And he's like, right, left. Oh no, I've got the upstairs way, the wrong way around. And then it's like, oh, I've got it on 2D. And it's like, it just brings that lightheartedness to it. And it's, oh. Yeah. Like a fine wine. Like a fine wine. But no, but I think that's it for this week's episode. Sorry it's it a is. bit late. Yes. But we'll get back to normal. Hopefully... Soon we've got we've got the next week couple of weeks planned out. We've got the next couple of weeks planned out, and yeah. then we will, um, be back with the normal shows and hopefully, yeah, hopefully. But as always, keep yourself safe, stay indoors, don't go out until you really need to. Yeah, do um, try doing exercise. We've been doing exercise from YouTube. Yes, to keep. You've been doing yoga. I've been doing yoga, trying to calm the crazy. Yes. And the thing is, it is hard. It, it, the boredom will strike, but it's just trying to understand that there is an end point to this. We aren't going to be like this for the rest of no. our lives. Um, it will end. It might feel way Endless. longer longer until that does happen, but there will always be a light at the end of the tunnel. So stay safe and um, follow the government guidelines, um, even if the government don't do it themselves like a yes. Scottish medic, medical leader. And also use your common sense. I know there's plenty of other governments yeah. and local authorities who haven't been sort of saying to stay in and do it. Take note of what's happened in other places yes. and just keep yourself safe. Stop hoarding stuff, people. Yeah, well, look, that sort of stopped. I mean, supermarkets, because of the restrictions that are being put on them. There's been some can... fights. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get that. Which is a shame, but no, as I said, this is a weird time and hopefully we can bring a little bit of normality to that or a little bit of entertainment for an hour or so. Yes. So, but if you've got anything that you'd like us to cover, let us know. Um, Send us any good memes. I love a good Tiger King meme at the moment. Yes. That's keeping me going. (laughs) Um, And happy cat pictures, please. Yes. But other than that, yet stay safe and that is goodbye from me. Bye.